the local minister reasoned that if the devil had possessed the dog, it would not have been so easily killed with a bullet. But either way, it, it, like it is, it's a tough pill to swallow to hear that he said that. So that's a myth. Yes. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um. <laughs> Going strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Social Discord, episode 26, Persistent American Myths, Two Truths and a Lie Edition, part two. I'm your host, Dalen Turk. And I'm Curtis Medina. And if you didn't catch the first episode, uh, Kara, our uh, other co-host, is out, so Curtis and I are doing uh, this kind of fun, lighthearted episode between some heavy hitters, um, looking at some myths that kind of live on in American history and uh, society, and... We're testing each other on them. So, uh, Curtis, why don't you go ahead and take it away with uh, the start of this episode? So, okay. So the next one I have for you um, is all about George Washington. Of course it is. <laughs> Your favorite guy. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, um, uh, George Washington never lived in the White House. Oh. Or George Washington's teeth were made of wood. Or... George Washington led an attack that started a world war. Oh my goodness. That last one's throwing me off. Led an attack that started a world war. Oh, I feel like world war is like really vague, especially at the time. Well, no, because he, because I mean, well, With obviously, the, it wouldn't be in reference to World War One or World War Two, right? So, but I mean, you so look at the American using the term differently after the American America. Revolution. I mean, Spain and France started fighting against Great Britain. Um, so I'm going to say that one's true. I, I don't think George Washington's teeth were ever actually wood. What was the first one? Uh, George Washington never lived in the White House. Okay, when did they... Did he not? Because, oh my goodness. Maybe he did have some wood teeth. I don't know if that's... a. Oh my God, this one's really <laughs> hard. This is a really hard one because the Capitol was in New York, but then they... Sh Shit. I'm trying to think of Hamilton. When did they sh <laughs> when did they ship the capital down the river? <laughs> oh, I I don't think George Washington ever slept. I don't think he ever lived in the White House. I'm going to go with that. That's a myth. He never lived in the White House. Well, so are you saying it's true, though? Because that's what I said. George Washington never lived in the White House. Are you saying that it's true or that that's is the myth? That is true. So that, he did, that is saying that. Yep, he never he never lived in the White House. Okay, so which one are you saying is the myth? I think the myth has. So wait, you said he did live in the White House. So what I said is George Washington never lived in the White House. Okay, so, so I think that I think true, that's then... true. So I okay. I think it's the wooden teeth. I don't think he had actually like wooden teeth it must have been made out of something else i thought i had you for a second yep. <laughs> <laughs> you got it you got it yeah so so george washington's teeth were actually not made of wood um that's one of the uh, biggest myths that people think about him i've seen it in cartoons and stuff where he has a splinter you know because of his wooden teeth all these different <laughs> things like it is it is so persistent um it's actually the first thing that comes up 
um, on mountvernon.org um, about different myths about him. Um, they even have uh, one of his, I think the only surviving pair of his false teeth. Oh, um, God. And uh, this is what they said. Uh, his dentures were um, were were not made out of wood. Um, they were, let's see, they may have looked like a wooden complexion due to the staining, um, but wood was never used. Instead, uh, throughout the li his life, Washington employed numerous full and partial dentures that were constructive materials, including human. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> I guess human teeth. I'm not sure. Um, and, uh, <laughs> no. and, and probably cow and horse teeth. Um, ivory, possibly from an elephant, uh, a lead tent, lead, I think it says lead tin, but I'm not sure if it's supposed to be lead tin alloy, uh, copper alloy, possibly brass and silver alloy. Um, and you can actually see a pair of, of what George Washington dentures, um, at that museum. Um, that's do you know how they secure them in his mouth? Did they, did they just like sit in there? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not for sure. Um, I think they, they probably just sit in there. Um, I'm not sure if they had any kind of poly grip sort of thing at the time. Mm -hmm. um, it probably wasn't the most comfortable. Um, for I people. cannot imagine. Yeah. But, but they, I, but I mean, I guess the only reason that the myth came about was that it, it had a little bit of a wooden complexion because they were stained. But oh, other than that, it's just it one wood. of those like weird, weird myths. I don't know where it comes from. Huh. Um, Interesting. Uh, so yeah, so uh, George Washington never lived in the White House. Uh, John Adams was actually the first person to live in that White House. Was he? Okay. Um, construction began when the first cornerstone was laid in October of 1792. Although President Washington oversaw the construction of the house, he never lived in it. It was not until 1800 when the White House was nearly completed that his first residence, John Adams and his wife, Abigail, moved in. And the other true one, uh, George Washington led an attack that started a world war. In 1754, Washington led a surprise attack upon a small French force uh, in, at, oh my gosh, I'm going to get it wrong again, Jumonville Glen. Perfect. Um, his, his subsequent surrender to French forces at the Battle of, of Fort Necessity helped to spark the French and Indian War, which was part of the imperial conflict between Great Britain and France known as the Seven Year War. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, I you were no close idea. to that. Yeah, I think you were pretty close though. You were kind, of, you were, you were kind of jumping all around it. Um, the other thing that it said that I thought was interesting was that George Washington actually lost more battles than he won, but that he won very strategic, important ones that mm -hmm. that you know definitely led to um, the U.S. being formed and different things. Um, but but that don't ever think that he was this person that always won his yeah. battles because he actually lost quite a few of them yes. and even surrendered a few of them. Like really earlier in his, his uh, military career, he, he did lose a lot of battles and it led to a lot of doubt in him mm -hmm. during the American revolution, especially because early on in the American revolution, things were not going well. Mm -hmm. um, and so there was a certain amount of lack of trust in his leadership uh, until he kind of got the band together and they started <laughs> kicking British butt. <laughs> British bums. British bums, yes. The red coats. <laughs> um, okay, uh, I guess let me move on to my next category, which is the civil rights movement. Okay, I'm writing this one down so I get it right. Okay, number one, right. number one. Rosa Parks was the first black woman to refuse to give up her seat. 
Number two. Martin Luther King and Malcolm X only met once. Number three. It was the Vietnam War that put LBJ and uh, Lyndon B. Johnson and Martin Luther King at odds. So I know this one, actually. Oh, um, okay. The myth is Rosa Parks being the first. Um, there was actually somebody before her, and I, I heard it on a podcast yep. a while back. Um, and the other two are absolutely true. Yes, you are correct. So the first woman, uh, um, although Parks was definitely the most famous um, no, no, most famously known for her refusal to give up her seat on the bus. Um, it was actually Claudette Colvin. Yeah. Um, so Claudette Colvin was only 15 years old in 1955. She refused to give up her seat on the front of the bus for a white woman. Uh, the police were called and Colvin was arrested. Um, and the reason a lot of people, at least now they know about it, but at the time it didn't get a lot of light, uh, by, uh, uh, civil rights movement uh, and leaders and specifically the NAACP uh, because shortly after this arrest, Colvin uh, became pregnant and basically they, and Colvin says this, um, she believes that she wasn't made kind of the face of resistance to segregation, as she says, because the NAACP didn't want a pregnant teenager to be, you know, the, I guess the flagship of, this movement um right. they, they thought the pregnancy would be more of the conversation than the actual event of not giving up her seat sadly they were probably correct with that yeah. um you know the other thing too though it's interesting about that story is that both claudette's and rosa parks um uh refusing to give up their seats was actually part of um they were trying to set up a situation where that they, they could um make a media circus so that it would bring about change. So it mm -hmm. wasn't, they didn't just get on the bus and accidentally get into the situation. They actually um, were sort of um, doing it on purpose so that they could set up an unjust law. Yeah. And, and I'm not, I don't remember who it was that was behind it. I, it might've been the NAACP, but I don't yeah. remember that part. Um, do you know, do you, are you familiar with what I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, I, and I believe it was the NAACP. And so the big thing though is, I think Claudette Colvin, hers was obvious, you know, she didn't was like, well, this is, you know, I want to sit in my seat. You know, obviously she was making a stance, but I think Rosa Parks, because prior to Rosa Parks refusing to give up a seat, she already had NAACP experience. She was very marketable. She knew what she was doing. And so Rosa Parks specifically was doing it actively in that sense. And she ended up becoming a, a major figure, figure and organizer for the bus boycotts. Would that, you call her like an activist even before she got famous for Rosa Parks using her? Yeah, not, yes. not giving up her seat. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, so yeah, and and I don't and I, like when I say this, like I hope I don't get anyone mad because you know I don't, I'm not trying to take away like the importance of it. It's just like, but there is this this thing that is persistent in when the story is told. They never mention that that they were trying to get arrested, or at least that they were trying to be. Uh, maybe not arrested, but like trying to get um, to challenge the law. Like, you know, it's always presented like they were just trying to get to work. Like when the newspaper first came out about the Rosa Parks thing, it it didn't mention anything about her being an activist or anything like that. It was like this poor, innocent, regular person, you know, had this problem, 
and and you know and it's you know is it right or is it wrong or whatever you know so like in a way like it doesn't for me it doesn't take anything away from it um the fact that they knew that that's what was going to happen and they were purposely trying to sort of test the system and 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 change the the law by by making it mm-hmm. um a big deal well and it's interesting too especially in rosa parks's case where she became like so much of her was she was the face of so much of this. And so you see in a lot of the history classes, uh, you know, in elementary school, junior high, high school, where in terms of black women during the civil rights, a lot of people only know about Rosa Parks. Mm-hmm. And like something, if, if you've listened to the critical race theory episode, uh, Tobin Shearer, um, he's the director of African-American studies at University of Montana, which is the oldest or the third oldest african-american studies program in the country um he did he does a really good job at emphasizing that although what rosa parks did was important it overshadows so many people like ella baker daisy bates uh joanne robinson all these incredibly influential women all because rosa parks was the face that was used during the bus boycotts and pretty much from then on on. it was what and they quite honestly what white america saw and they used her on purpose, though, because she was a very, you know, conservatively dressed, you know, she had glasses, she had, you know, she, 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 she was, she was a, a well sort of like mannered person, you know, she was just a, like a person that you couldn't, you couldn't, she didn't seem like a, like a, you know, like they would say like a troublemaker or whatever, mm-hmm. like, you know, like, like that was part of it was she was just a regular, you know, God fearing, you know, black woman that, that um, was was sick and tired of of you know having this this issue. She was very marketable. Yeah. Um, and so number two, uh, truth. Martin Luther King and Malcolm X only met once. Um, and so there's this you know this huge narrative that Martin Luther King and Malcolm X hated each other and they were complete polar opposites, which is is true, definitely to an extent. Um, and they definitely had a lot of words said about each other, but they only ever met once, and it was very very briefly um and so they really only met it was in uh, 1964 in march uh it was on the steps of the capitol building and uh there was a hearing it was a debate going on about the civil rights bill um the capitol building and they met on the steps of the capitol building for like a moment just shake hands say hey maybe we can work together in the future picture was taken and that was it that was the only encounter the two ever had and 11 months later malcolm x was shot and killed wow so um yeah i mean just kind of yeah people have this idea that martin luther king and malcolm x were i guess interacting a lot they were but they never had any contact with each other at all um and then the last one uh it was the vietnam war that put lyndon b johnson and martin luther king at odds um and a lot of people don't realize and we all know lyndon b johnson was a pretty like gruff guy um you know we've all heard the stories of him sitting on the toilet with his door open yelling at you know his secret service agents and whatnot um actually but, that was trump <laughs> well you're probably not wrong um <laughs> so yeah it really wasn't until the late later 60s uh due to johnson's tactics in the vietnam war that um they started kind of their relationship started to fray um, because prior to that, um, like Lyndon B. Johnson in famously in the movie Selma, um, he's depicted as very hesitant and more focused on the FBI looking into Martin Luther King. Um, 
But for the years surrounding the Civil Rights Bill, and really, honestly, up until the Viet- going into the Vietnam War, um, Martin Luther King and Lyndon B. Johnson were pretty tight allies, and they they had a lot of secret meetings together. They spoke on the phone a lot together. Um, they really worked together a lot. Um, uh, so, and Lyndon B. Johnson, uh, it says here, um, uh, he believed that uh, president's powers should be limited uh, when it came to domestic policy. Um, and everybody knew at the time he wanted to get a big domestic, he wanted to get big domestic bills passed, um, especially in his uh, um, uh, first uh, presidency. Um, and so he really relied on activists and grassroots efforts at the time to put pressure on Congress in a way that he couldn't. Um, mm-hmm. But even after their relationship frayed uh, due to the Vietnam War, and uh, for those who don't know, Martin Luther King uh, like vehemently opposed the Vietnam War and the way that uh, Lyndon B. Johnson was handling the war. And he spoke very publicly publicly about it. And uh, Johnson did not take to it very well. Yeah, um, that might be a difference in in um, sort of generational thought too, though, because you know Lyndon, Lyndon B. Yeah. Johnson was much more of a you know conservative and much more of a um, uh, kind of an old world kind of kind of guy. Even then, uh, though, I mean, Johnson was quite a bit more liberal than people really think. Um, I've heard both. I've heard back and yeah. forth. I mean, obviously, you know, he was he was who they picked to be vice president. Um, you know, under. JFK, but um, I do I do wonder if like his gruffness kind of gets mistaken for the stereotype of, you know, conservative, you know, um, but I don't know. Um, but after even after Martin Luther King's death, uh, this is a quote from Lyndon B. Johnson. Um, he says, I have rarely felt the sense of powerlessness more acutely than the day Martin Luther King Jr. was killed. And wow. so the, the sentiment was still there. It was still strong. Um and so, yeah, really, it was just the Vietnam War that put them at odds and everything else. They were very tight allies throughout the entire civil rights movement. So those that's are that's another one. OK. All right. So my my next one has to do with the Salem witch trials. Oh, yes. I like this. <laughs> OK, so um, number one, the Salem witch trials started with two girls having unexplainable fits number two okay um witches were burned at the stake during the salem witch trials number three during the witch trials two dogs were killed based on suspend suspicions of witchcraft (laughs) i think i know this one i don't believe I don't believe anybody was actually burned at the stake. Correct. Oh, Very good. There we go. Um, yeah, so you're right. Um, so 20 people were eventually executed as witches, but contrary to popular popular belief, none of the condemned were burned at the stake. Um, in accordance with English law, 19 of the victims of the Salem witch trials were instead taken to the infamous Gallows Hill to die by hanging. Um, the myth of the burnings, though, um, is most likely inspired by European witch trials um, where they actually were quite often burned at the stake. Um, Medieval law codes such as Holy Roman Empire's Constitutio Criminalis, Carolina, stipulated that malevolent witchcraft should be punished by fire and church leaders and local governments oversaw the burning of witches across parts of modern day Germany, Italy, Scotland, France, 
in Scandinavia. Historians have estimated that the witch hunt hysteria that peaked between the 15th and 18th century saw some 50,000 people executed as witches oh in Europe. Oh my god. Many of these victims were hanged or beheaded first, but their bodies were typically incinerated mm. afterward to protect against postmortem sorcery. Postmortem sorcery. <laughs> That's a really good like heavy metal band. Right. <laughs> postmortem sorcery. God. No, Dad, you can't tell me not to listen to postmortem sorcery. <laughs> They're my favorite band. I gotta say, it, 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 the Salem witch trials. And I was I was talking to somebody about that. I watched a trailer for a new movie that's coming out, um, and it's basically it's uh, I think it's called like Invasion, and it's you know alien invasion, post apocalyptic kind of thing. And everyone immediately it's just mass hysteria. Everyone starts acting just crazy animalistic, mm-hmm. and I find it very interesting that you know that we've seen it in modern times, different scenarios, and it lives in pop culture, but to the the level that it reached during the Salem witch trials based off just falsehoods and hysteria and lies is absolutely astounding that a society got to that level where they were just killing people for absolutely insane reasons. Well, and also, you know, when we, I think we're going to talk pretty soon about um, the cancel culture um, Mm -hmm. in a future episode and, you know, there is a lot of comparisons, I think actually correct ones to like it being like a witch hunt. Yeah. Um, because it always starts off with good intentions and it starts off with, um, you know, s- maybe some like more like reasonable facts that happened or whatever. But then by the end of it, like it's just like everybody's accusing everybody of something without, you know, with less and less proof and and you know it, it becomes more about like the accusation than the actual like proving right. the truth you know so yeah so i, I think it's kind of like that where like at first you know there there really were some unexplainable events that were happening um you don't necessarily have to jump to witchcraft <laughs> because of it <laughs> but but you know but there was something going on um in mid-january 1692 elizabeth betty paris the nine-year-old daughter of the local reverend that's never good uh samuel (laughs) paris and abigail williams the reverend's 11 year old niece became the first to be diagnosed in quotes um with being affected by witchcraft the girls contorted their bodies into odd positions made strange noises and spoke gibberish and seemed to be having fits soon after other girls um names them but they were 12 and 17 um also started showing similar symptoms by late february 1692 when traditional medicines and prayers failed to cure the girls the reverend called upon a local doctor william griggs he was the first to suggest the girls may be under the evil influence of witchcraft so, wow yeah it just, i mean you know it starts off with something real but then it just gets into something crazy wow I, i'm surprised they didn't have any like is it i wonder if there's a form of like exorcism for witches or if it's if the only answer is to kill them right i i don't know i'm not sure if uh um, if, if anybody knows anything about <laughs> taking care of evil witches let us know do an exorcism episode coming up here <laughs> um what about these yeah, dogs the other- yeah, the other truth was uh, animals were not spared during the Salem witch trials. Um, during the trials, two dogs were killed based on suspicions of witchcraft. One dog was shot after a girl suffering from convulsions accused the dog of trying to be witcher. Oh my gosh, what a terrible thing to do. <laughs> That's awful. 
However, after the dog's death, the local minister reasoned that if the devil had possessed the dog, it would not have been so easily killed with a bullet. Oh my God. The second slain dog was actually thought to be a victim of witchcraft whose tormentors fled Salem before they could be tried in court. Oh, interestingly, the dog's role did not end here. They were used for identifying witches in Salem using the witch cake test. Oh, if a dog was fed a, a cake made with rye and the urine of an infect, an afflicted person, and it displayed the same symptoms as the victim, it indicated the presence of witchcraft. <sighs> it's just absolutely insane. We've come a long ways. We. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean you start from the bottom there's nowhere to go but up right that Using is dogs of witchcraft i think is probably the bottom yeah i think that's about as low as you can get um <laughs> being a dog cake and urine oh my goodness have you did you ever watch the movie the witch are you talking about like it was like a horror movie from like yeah, four or uh, five years ago a24 um, yeah, yeah 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 it's really good and yeah. then have you seen the fear street no series Ooh. Gotta watch it. If you like witch stuff and, and slasher films, oh, I do. watch Fear Street. Okay, um, it's on my list. I'm watching American Horror Story right now, yep. so I gotta get through that, but it's on, definitely on my list. Yeah, all three of them are wonderful. Um, <laughs> okay, on to, uh, this is my last category. Okay. Um, so, this is Manifest Destiny in the American Frontier. Okay. Number one, only one man died during the Lewis and Clark expedition. Number two, okay. Attacks by Native Americans were a major threat to westward immigrants. Say that one again. Attacks by Native Americans were a major threat to westward immigrants. Okay. And number three. Modern day Oklahoma was used as an Indian colonization zone. Ooh. Um... Hmm. My gut instinct tells me, and it's been wrong all day, um, that, <laughs> um, that the only one man died in Lewis and Clark is a myth. Um, I think the others are likely to be true, um, but it depends. Like the attacks by Native Americans was a major threat. Like I feel like that kind of depends on what time you're talking about, because I don't think it was at first. But then when they started taking their land, like there definitely was some pushback and even some like major victories on the native american side of fighting for their land um so i would think that that they would it probably would have been a major threat um and then i don't really know about the settlement in, o in oklahoma but that does sound really reasonable um especially since um a large portion of native american people are still in oklahoma in that whole area and and even if they left to other areas it makes sense that it was from that middle Part of america so i think the first one is the myth you are incorrect oh no my apologies sir so the first one so the myth do you know do you would you like to guess which one is the myth out of the <laughs> other two um i'm gonna guess it's the native american major threat thing because um i feel like there's something in the wording there that kind of yeah that I didn't, I didn't get. So yes, that is accurate. The myth was that uh, attacks by Native Americans were a major threat to westward emigrants. Um, so Hollywood and pop culture, uh, they may tell you otherwise, but uh, Plains Indians were really by no means the biggest concern for westward voyagers. Maybe 
in their minds like they thought it was, but in reality, it was by no means the the biggest threat that they faced on their journey. Um, so wagon trains, uh, they did often deploy guards at night to circle their camp, but the main reason for that was one to keep their animals from wandering off. You know, they had uh, horses, dogs, oxen, cattle, um, and uh, it was. They also did it to uh, stop the occasional wolf or coyote from entering camp. Um, mm-hmm. So it was really more of the safety and protection of their animals and the defense of uh, other animals. Um, but hostile encounters really didn't start to pick up. And you were kind of right on this. Um, they didn't really pick up until after the Civil War um, when there was more of like a military presence going on. At least that's what I've gathered um, in this research. Gotcha. Um, but uh, with that said, between 1840 and 1860, uh, only 362 immigrants were killed by Native Americans, uh, while an estimated 20,000 were killed by disease and other ailments on the Oregon Trail and other such trails. Um, on the other side of that, emigrants in the same time period, I believe roughly, emigrants killed 426 Native Americans. And so it was definitely lopsided. Um, wow. And that's from the OregonTrailCenter.org and History.com. Um, and so, yeah, really, um, at the, the peak of westward expansion, the threat of Native Americans really not Overblown. a huge danger. And really, the, the, especially on the route of the Oregon Trail um, and before it branched into the California Trail going uh, further down south. The majority of these attacks by Native Americans on the emigrants happened between uh, basically between below the Snake River in Idaho. And I can't remember the other river in northern uh, Nevada, but basically in the space between southern Idaho and northern Nevada. That's where a lot of these attacks happen, as well as right below Willamette Valley in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where a lot of these attacks were recorded. Otherwise, um, in terms of uh, Native American tribes in the plains, they were much more. A lot of them were either just kind of like, eh, like whatever, um, or some actually seek to make deals or whatever, you know, or help out the immigrants, whatever it may be. Um, but really, this idea of you know these dangerous Native Americans out west, it it just wasn't the reality that was depicted by pop culture um, or by those who were trying to promote these emigrations to the west. Wow. Um, and then, yeah, um, only one man died during the Lewis and Clark expedition. That's amazing. Um, and funny fact about this uh, uh, little tidbit here. Um, I know a guy who was on who wants to be a millionaire. Um, he won okay. he won two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Oh, wow. And on the five hundred thousand dollar question that he got wrong, the question was there was only one man who died on the Lewis and Clark expedition. How did he die? His answer was. A mountain lion attack, which mm-hmm. if you know anything about mountain lions, just isn't realistic. That that just doesn't sound right. But do you have a guess as to how this one man died on the entire expedition? It's got to be something dumb, like like uh, like he's like you stepped off a cliff or something <laughs> like that. Like it's got to be something just like like you would not at all think. It was actually early on in the trip. It was in uh, what is now Sioux City, Iowa. He okay. uh, His appendix burst. He had appendicitis. Oh, my gosh. Yep. It was uh, appendicitis caused the only death on the entire expedition. 
When you said Iowa, my second guess was going to be boredom. <laughs> you're you're not you're not wrong. <laughs> you are absolutely not wrong. Um, and then Sorry, the uh, the third one, uh, modern day Oklahoma was used as an Indian colonization zone. Um, so as a lot of people know, Andrew Jackson was a terrible president uh, because he did horrible things to Native Americans yep. in the country. Um, he was absolutely horrible. Um, so in the 1830s, uh, he signed the Indian Removal Act. Um, he was a huge, huge supporter of what they termed Indian removal, um, which gave the federal government the power to exchange native held land in the Cotton Kingdom east of Mississippi for the land to the west um, in what they coined as the Indian Colonization Zone. Um, they acquired that land during the Louisiana Purchase um, and is now modern day Oklahoma, which is why we see such a massive Native American presence in Oklahoma. Um, and they really gave them this land because it, no one really wanted it. It was hard to uh, plant there. It was it was just really infertile land. There was, in terms of uh, natural landscape, there's just really nothing there. Um, natural vegetation, not a lot going on. Um, and so it was basically just, hey, let's shove them to this part of the West that nobody wants. It's not even the West. It's like this central like i mean it's, it's right. further west than they were yeah but to them that probably was the west like yeah it, it is yeah. it is not the the valuable land that mm -hmm. they would no go on property yeah that they would go on to seek <laughs> later on in the 1800s um and so yeah that's the indian colonization zone is what they called it which is and that was you know part of the trail of tears and everything mm -hmm. and it's yeah, Andrew Jackson sucks. He was not he's he was not a good president. He was he was terrible to the to the indigenous peoples of this country. Yeah, and you know, if you're a Native American person and you you must hate using twenty dollar bills, you know, because it's mm -hmm. it's just it's must just be a reminder of of like how terrible this person was. <laughs> just the worst. Um, yeah, so they that's were, they were trying to change the twenty dollar bill to yeah. have, uh, Harriet Tubman. Which would be um, incredible. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people didn't like that. Uh, some of them were racist and then, and they just, you know, they didn't want a black person on the, on the money or whatever. Uh, some of them just thought that it was like liberal, uh, changing of history or whatever. And That's that, the same you know, thing that, with the indigenous people's day, you know? Right. Right. It's well, like, it's like, it doesn't matter how true or un, like, or how right, liberals are about about how history actually was and how wrong you were mm -hmm. about how terrible these people were um you know that it just doesn't matter you just like you're just like this is the way it's always been and and i don't want to change it that's kind of yeah. like their their mentality and that was one of the many things that trump um delayed because he thought it was going to be too expensive although at the same time he was planning like a, a large parade to celebrate america yeah or something like that started the space force <laughs> right yeah space, i feel like the space force like I think eventually the Space Force is going to be something that is probably worthwhile just because there's a lot of smart people involved in it. Um, but it just sounded stupid coming from Trump. <laughs> I just, to me, I guess it, with Space Force, it, it creates this whole idea of the militarization and the defense of space, which I guess if right. we get some hostile aliens, sure. <laughs> But I mean, someday, you know, there might be a battle in space or something, even with, you know, a, a country from the Earth or something. I just That's, 
I think if we're going to put funding into space, it should be sent to NASA for space exploration and discovery. Yeah. Not space fighting. Um, right. <laughs> but anyways, um, that's the okay. last of mine. Uh, do you have any more? Yeah, I have a few more. Okay, okay cool. So, so this one is um, it's all about Lincoln. Okay. Okay. Um, Lincoln created, this is number one, Lincoln created the Secret Service hours before his assassination. Um, oh. Number two. Lincoln is enshrined in the Wrestling Hall of Fame. Or number three, the South succeeded from the Union over the the issue of states' rights, not because of slavery. That one's not true. It was definitely slavery. It was states' rights to have slaves. Right. So so this is is a quote um, from History.com, Five Myths About Slavery. It says, the myth that the Civil War wasn't fundamentally a conflict over slavery would have been a surprise to the original founders of the Confederacy. Uh, In the official declaration of the causes of their secession in December 1860, South Carolina delegates cited an increasing hostility on the part of the non-slaveholding states to the institution of slavery. Um, So according to them, the Northern interference with the return of fugitive slaves was violating their constitutional obligations. And they also complained that some states in New England tolerated abolitionist societies and allowed black men to vote. Um, uh, let's see. As James W. Low- Lowen, um, author of Lies My Teacher Told Me and the Confederate and Neo-Confederate Reader, uh, wrote in the Washington Post, quote, In fact, Confederates opposed states' rights. Um, That is the right of Northern states not to support slavery. And so, yeah, so not only is that not true, it's actually the opposite because they didn't um, support the Northern states' rights to not do it. Um, The idea that the war was somehow not about slavery, but about issue of states' rights was perpetuated later by generations anxious to redefine their ancestors' sacrifices as noble protection of the Southern way of life. At the time, however, Southerners had no problem claiming the protection of slavery was as a cause of their break with the Union. It's, I was just listening or I was at a, a protest recently and it was a, a protest at the Texas Capitol building for it was kind of protesting just Texas in general and everything that's been happening. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, it was the the um, recent abortion bill, the six week abortion bill. It was the. Uh, the voting rights bill that was passed, that, or I guess the lack thereof voting rights, um, basically limiting access to voting, um, and then some other things that the Texas uh, uh, legislature passed. But at the uh, protest, they had a speaker up, and let me tell you, all the speakers they had at this protest could they could either talk you off a cliff or over a cliff. Like they, <laughs> these were some of the greatest speakers I'd ever heard in my life. And so this wow. this man. He was reading the the draft that was written by the state of Texas seceding from the union and saying why and it, their their literal justification was that that uh, people of African descent were lesser than white people and mm-hmm. their them being. Um, uh, inferior and subsidiary to uh, people of white society was a benefit to not only whites, but also a benefit to, benefit to them as black peoples. 
Um, Bless their hearts. And they were seceding from the union, not only (laughs) to benefit white people, but also to benefit them and keep them like within their rightful stature. It's crazy, that justification. Just absolutely. And Texas was, I believe, the last state to actually um, end slavery or something, something like that. Um, Texas. Um, but yeah, like that's literally they they justified it by saying it was good for black people to be slaves. Everything's bigger in Texas, including mistakes, <laughs> <laughs> including racism, including racism. Um, so the other ones. Um, so actually, so uh, Lincoln actually is enshrined in the Wrestling Hall of Fame. Just so um, badass. According to this article, so the great emancipator wasn't quite WWE material, but thanks to his long limbs, he was an accomplished wrestler as a young man, defeated only once in approximately 300 matches. Oh, my God. Uh, Lincoln reportedly talked a little smack in the ring, um, according to the biography um, by Carl Sandburg. Um Abe challenged an entire crowd of onlookers after dispatching an opponent, saying, I'm... I'm the big buck of this lick. If any of you want to try it, come on and wet your horns. <laughs> oh, boy. So, yeah. Um, I would absolutely <laughs> love for the year to be a WWE character named the Great Emancipator who dresses up as Abraham Lincoln. In the uh, That would be the most incredible thing. Well, he could, he could always have like a weapon hidden under his like hat, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah. The Undertaker versus the Great Emancipator. <laughs> like, who do you want to win there? Come on now. He's also, um, I hear, a skilled vampire hunter. Right. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I should have put that as one of the myths. Right? Um, uh, Lincoln created the Secret Service hours before his assassination. On April 14th, 1865, Lincoln signed legislation creating the U.S. Secret Service. That evening, he was shot at Ford's Theater. I had um, never heard of that before. So, you know, I feel bad for the Secret Service. They failed on their first day. <laughs> no, not a good in start. In the worst possible way. Yeah. That's a terrible um, reputation to rebuild. I know. Like, <laughs> starting from the hole without. Literally, I guess, like you said, there's only one way you can go, I guess. Hopefully. <laughs> okay, so this is another one about the Civil War. Okay, so um, number one is South Carolina was the first to succeed the Union. Number two, the, the Union went to war to end slavery. Number three, it was the deadliest war in American history. The Civil War. What was the first one again? Uh, South Carolina was the first state to succeed at the Union. Oh, my God. I don't. I know it was the deadliest war. But. And what the second one was, did they start it to end slavery? Yeah, the Union went to war to end slavery. Oh. Man, I hmm, I don't think they went to war to end slavery. I think they went to war to try and keep the union together. Because I think that's the whole thing of Abraham Lincoln's quote of, if I didn't have to end slavery, I wouldn't, meaning his entire efforts were to keep the union together. So I think it's number two. Yeah, correct. The Probably the most surprising quote that I read on the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. was, if I could save the union without freeing any slave, I would do it. And that that line really shocked me when I first read it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because it kind of it kind of throws the african-american people and slaves of the time at you know under the bus um because but if you keep reading it um he also goes on to say if i could save it by freeing all the slaves i would do it Mm -hmm. Um, and if i could save it by freeing some and leaving others alone i would also do that so he kind of was basically saying that his hands were tied and that he had to free the slaves because there's no other way to preserve the union in a way to me that takes down a little bit of my perception of the greatness of abraham lincoln uh just because at least on the record he said that you know kind of like if he could if he could keep it going like he would, which is just a really shocking thing to hear from somebody mm-hmm. apparently behind closed doors, he was against it. Yeah. Um, so I guess that kind of saves him. Um, and you know, maybe he was just trying to appeal to the other side that, you know, he wasn't completely against them or something, but I don't know. I still, it's still a hard thing for me to hear, um, coming from, from the person that, you know, is the is the mm-hmm. hero of emancipation. Yeah. Well, and it's it's a shame too because not many people know the second half of that quote. Right. You know, it's 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 just the the context of if I could do it without freeing the slaves, I would, and that's usually where it ends. Right. Um. But either way, it, it, like it is, it's a tough pill to swallow to hear that he said that when you know I feel like everybody's mind it should be the only way to do right. this is to free the slaves. You know. <laughs> One thing I thought was interesting I was reading about was, you know, there's there's also a myth that um, black people fought on both sides of the um, Civil War. There are a few that did, um, I guess you could say technically on the Confederate side, but but most of the black people who were on the Confederate side was actually basically still in slavery. They were yeah. they were cooks. They were they, they cleaned things. You know, they were they were they were they weren't necessarily fighting their war um you know they might have been there but they weren't exactly participating um and in fact they were actually banned from um being on the confederate side for at least part of it um so they they literally could not have been a soldier at first um and then i guess lincoln um started understanding that it was a necessary step to um to declare that if the union won that he would free the slaves. Um, I'm sure it was a big um, motivating factor too for a lot of, you know, to motivate people that this was a, a, a war they had to win on for the union side. Um, you know, but, but yeah, I mean, he, he definitely saw it more as a practical wartime measure more than a true liberation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's a very complicated history. Definitely not just all one sided or the other. Um, there's more to it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one, yeah, deadliest war in American history. Two, uh, there were around two hundred and ten thousand soldiers killed in action, wow. and six hundred twenty-five thousand total dead. So, but but the other people died of various diseases and stuff right. like that. Um, like I know so that, the like a, a field hospital mm-hmm. during the Civil War was the biggest nightmare to ever exist. Mm-hmm. You know, I I can't imagine, and it it, it was basically if you had a like a, a head injury or an abdominal injury they they there was nothing they could do they just let you die about 30 percent of all southern white males between the ages of 18 and 40 died in the war wow that is staggering yeah okay so the next one's a fun one just okay. to kind of get away from <laughs> of that get away um, from the cruelty of war which of these famous brand mascots oh. are are real 
Oh my goodness. So in this case, two of them are myths and one of them is real. Okay, here okay. we go. So Betty Crocker. I, by Ju- by real, do you mean like a real person or just like, like is the brand itself fake? No, the real, it's, it's based, based on a real person. Okay, gotcha. Either that started or at least just based on someone that actually is is the real person okay. <laughs> and not just made up in a, in an ad room. Okay. Uh, Betty Crocker, Aunt Jemima or Wendy from the restaurant Wendy's. Mm. I'm pretty sure Wendy is real. Cause isn't that like the founders, like niece or something? Yep. Very good. Oh, yep. <laughs> I think you have you gotten any wrong? Um, I think I've gotten one wrong. Okay, wow, you've gotten almost all of them right. <laughs> um, uh, the first two were created by ad ag- agencies and played by different actors over the years. Uh, Wendy was based on Melinda Lou Wendy Thomas Morse, um, born in 1961, and, and she's still alive. And she is the daughter um, and the fourth child of American businessman mm-hmm. Dave Thomas, who f- the, was the founder of Wendy's. Yep. Um, Okay, so this one's on about Paul Revere, two truths and a myth. Um, Paul Revere's warning that the British are coming never happened. Paul Revere fathered 16 children. (laughs) Or Paul Revere was court-martialed for cowardice and insubordination. Oh, boy. Yeah, I I don't think his like midnight ride ever actually happened. Like if the British are coming, the midnight like I don't think that ever happened. I'm pretty sure that was like fictionalized. So that's a myth. Yes. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Going strong. <laughs> I, I thought I might get you with that the court martial one. Um, okay, so uh, so yeah, so he never shouted the British are coming um, because um, um, as uh, as this article puts it, um, it would be the equivalent of of uh, running through Times Square shouting the Americans are coming because at that, <laughs> at that point um, the, co- the colonies were uh, still technically British and not right. everyone was cool with the idea of a revolution. So more likely Paul Revere, um, which was just um, one of dozens assigned to put the word out in Boston, probably whispered his alarm instead of the whole midnight ride thing where he's ringing the bell and all that stuff. Um, and he would have also more likely said the regulars are coming out. Um, because that was, I guess, the term for huh. um, the revolution. Interesting. Um, yeah. The regulars um, are coming the, out. The whole, the whole reason that we know um, uh, it was a term to designate British soldiers. Um, and uh, the only reason that we hear about Paul Revere as, as being anything like above and beyond was because uh, this guy named Longfellow wrote a patriotic poem. Um, and uh, he's the one that popularized paul revere um he yeah so uh he had 16 children eight with his first wife and eight with his second um those poor women i know uh, four were alive when he died i think he i think it said that 11 actually survived of the 16 i think that's what it said wow um and uh he was court-martialed for cowardice and insubordination um because although the outnumbered British were initially prepared to surrender, the Americans failed to attack in time. And by August, enough British reinforcements had arrived to force an American retreat. He was charged with cowardice and insubordination. 
Um, he was court-martialed and dismissed from the militia, militia, but um, but he was acquitted in 1782, but his reputation remained tarnished till his death. Huh. Interesting. I have all, no idea. All right. So let's see if I have enough for two more. They're both on Disney and Walt, uh, the Disney brand or Walt Walt Disney. Here, we'll do um, we'll do one more and then we'll wrap it up. Okay. Let me pick the best one. One second. All right. I'll go with the fun one. Okay. Um, so here are the three. Um, Walt Disney drew Mickey Mouse. Or the actors who played Mickey and Minnie were actually married, the ones that did their voice. Um, or Walt Disney World employs more people than every other Disney park combined. Wow. Um, Walt Disney did not draw Mickey Mouse. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't get you. Um, the legendary animation pioneer, um, the guy who, who made I'm going to Disneyland, the most common expression of celebrate celebration in the free world, didn't actually draw the most famous creation. Uh, Mickey Mouse was his idea and he provided the voice, but everything iconic about the mouse, the pancake ears, the red shorts are the creation of Oob Iwerks, mm -hmm. Disney's favorite animator. So the next time you see someone wearing a Mickey Mouse shirt, be sure to tell them, ah, oh, I see you're a fan of Oob Iwerks. See what they say. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, Walt Disney, he was actually kind of a dick about this. Like he took basically all the credit for it. Like yeah. he he took it and just ran with it. I guess it was just those two as well, because I guess everyone else left. Um, and uh they kind of had to come up with a hit character, and they just happened to strike gold when they made um the steamboat um mm -hmm. Mickey or Steamboat Willie. Um uh film um and uh, the character was kind of an instant success yeah uh, but but then um iWorks aspired to become an independent producer and he launched his own animation studio in 1930 uh he supervised as of dozens of entries um and characters like flip the frog willie whopper um and the comma color cartoon series um during the period he made several significant contributions to the art of animation um including uh most notably the multiple the multi-plane camera which created a three-dimensional effect on screen which i think walt disney used in, in some of his later 2d movies mm -hmm. so yeah walt disney folks anything else spanned like every every era <laughs> i know we covered a lot of ground <laughs> we were way. from salem witch trials like <laughs> man we we covered a lot of distance in this one but no, i thought this was a really fun episode i i actually learned quite a bit yeah, um, we should do it again for sure. So, uh, yeah, if uh, if you enjoy this episode, uh, keep an eye for it in the future because I think this will be a pretty common way that we fill a gap between uh, heavy hitters because um, I think it's a really good way to consume information. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, um, sorry, Kara couldn't be here. Like we said, she's dealing with a lot of stuff we in her personal you. life. Kara, we do miss you. Uh, we hope you can join us on this next one because uh, I think you would have a really good time with this because I also know how competitive you get. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, uh, if you want to get a hold of us, send us an email at pwbnetwork at gmail.com. Check us out on the Facebook machine. Um, you can follow us on all the podcast apps. And please, if you would be so kind, give us a review, give us a rating, and make sure you hit that subscribe button. Uh, it helps us grow, helps us climb the charts, helps us just know that people are listening. Um, so, uh, yeah, if you're listening, make sure you hit those buttons. Give us five stars or four, two stars, one star. Give us some stars, whatever it may be, and let us know what you think in the review section. 
Um, Curtis, before we sign off, is there anything you want to plug? Anything you want to throw out there to the void? Um, American Her- uh, Horror Story is is uh, really good this year. You should really be watching it. It's uh, I'm talking from 2021. So I think it's, uh, what is it, season nine? Something like that. That's, wow. Um, yeah, really, really strong this year. Very spooky and uh, worth a watch. I'm a big fan, so check it out. All right, take a look, see everybody. Uh, we will talk to you all in the next episode. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to Social Discord, part of the Podcast Without Borders Network. You can get a hold of us by sending us an email at pwbnetwork at gmail.com. You can also check out our website at podcastwithoutborders.com. Thanks for listening.